Devin Booker returned, but Victor Wembanyama was too much to handle for the second straight game. On today's episode of Locked On Suns, we'll talk about how Victor took over and why the Suns had no answers and what Book just showed us in that game. Let's go. You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we're back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past seven seasons, a writer at suns.com, and the host of the Just Basketball Show, wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen. Happy Friday. Not so happy with the loss, but I appreciate each and every one of you being here anyway. Hit follow, hit subscribe wherever you're finding this show. We are free and available everywhere, including YouTube. All you have to do is is hit that button to get this show in your feed Monday through Friday, become an everydayer, and get locked onto the Phoenix Suns right along with me every single day. A community of thousands on YouTube and audio. If you'd like to support the show even a little more, besides all those other things I just said, hit like and drop a comment with your thoughts on these back-to-back losses. The Phoenix Suns are now 2-3. and three. A weird, bumpy, interesting start, but we're here to just break down one game today, and that, of course, is the Suns' loss to the San Antonio Spurs, 132-121, to an insane game with a lot to dive into, so let's do that. Today's show brought to you by Prize Picks, the easiest, most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepicks.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA, that's all lowercase, for a first deposit match up to $100. More from them later on, but let's get into the game and our moment of the game more specifically. The shot, the moment, the bucket came at the three minute and 20 second mark of the fourth quarter. The San Antonio Spurs were up three points after a Jetty Osmond three and Zach Collins got the ball in isolation in the post The Suns were in uh, what looked like a zone, sort of a matchup zone, and this is the basket where you saw Zach Collins spin baseline against Kevin Durant, get sort of stuck up against the basket, and then dish it to Victor Wembanyama for what I believe would be points number 34 and 35. Uh, No, actually, um, 34. 31 and 32 or something like that. The man scored another three and another jumper after this. But this moment in particular, the reason that I highlight this bucket on a night where Wembenyama scored 38, uh, insane game, honestly terrifying. And we're not going to spend too much time buttering Mr. Wembenyama's bread because, uh, look, he he's getting plenty of that. And I will, plen- I will talk... Plenty about the Suns, but this in particular jumps out even after, an hour after the game has ended, because the Phoenix Suns lost track of Vic. I don't call him Wemby. I don't know if I've made that announcement on the show. I don't call him Wemby because that sounds like something that a baby would say, and I don't, I don't use the word. Vic, at least let's come up with an adult nickname for the man. He is a huge giant. I don't think we're going to want to call him Wemby when he's 
30 and has like four NBA championships and has a beard or something. So let's, uh, let's just adjust there. But how do you lose track of this guy at that moment, right? The Suns went to a zone. They went small. At times, in this particular moment, Eubanks was in the game. He was one of the guys who did not help. Uh, I said that it was Zach Collins against Durant. It was Zach Collins against Keita Bates-Diop, who we will get to later in the show, who closed this game. But basically, Grayson Allen is the only one in real help position, but when Benyama caught the ball and Allen was immediately unable to do much of anything behind the play, Durant didn't really get an arm in front of the pass, and Eubanks gets a split second behind the action, and it's over. I mean, that was the lesson of this game, I think. I just went back and watched every Wembenyama bucket and the whole highlights of the game. There's a another big thing I want to talk about, but the main one is the Suns did not treat him like a scoring threat too often in this game. Now, this game started because... Uh, well, not because. This game started by the Spurs going off from deep. They couldn't miss, it felt like, in the first half. They got uh, three out of three from deep from Devin Vassell, and he actually missed the second half of this game. Zach Collins from above the arc. Jetty Osman, who I mentioned, made the go-ahead three. Even Doug McDermott had a couple of back-breaking ones himself. So I get that, right? That that opens things up, That may, and that's what happened in the first game as well, right? Vassell, Keldon Johnson, those guys were, were just bombing away, and so if you're trying to make sure you're closing out, I'm sure that was Frank Vogel's message at halftime was, let's not lose these guys on ball screens, communicate your switches, contest out to the three-point line, and then all of a sudden the seven-foot-four guys, somebody you also need to be worrying about around the hoop, it's a, it's a tall order, and, and I'm not trying to oversimplify that. But by this point in the game, at this 3 minute and 20 second mark, it was very clear that this guy demanded the attention of multiple people, not only at the rim, which, okay, yes, there's not a whole lot you're going to do. We saw multiple poster dunks in this game alone, let alone the big one that he had over Eubanks on Tuesday. Maybe there's not a lot you're going to do at that point. But how do you let this guy catch the ball with a head of steam in the paint. That's the part that I think it, it just kind of reaffirms that the Suns were not near their peak and not nearly good enough defensively in this game. And that's just on Wembenyama. I mean, it wasn't just that the Spurs got hot in that first half. The Suns, I, I think the first half the Suns played defensively in this game was about as bad a, a defensive performance as you will see from a title contending team at all in, in an NBA season. It was it was that bad. And, and then to cap it off with letting this guy just completely devastate you uh, inside and, and just make mental mistakes of basically letting him do that is, I mean, unacceptable, you know? And so that's our moment of the game. The other thing I wanted to mention, though, with him that kind of contributed, excuse me, to how that, attention or lack thereof developed is how many times in this game I don't have a moment for this one but it is relevant how many times the Suns gave up a switch where Vic was then able to post up a guard 
And that just, again, speaks to the ignoring of Victor as a scoring threat. He got multiple lobs and transition buckets because the team was more occupied with the ball and the ball handler than Victor Wimbanyama. And in those switching moments, it was Booker, it was Eric Gordon, it was anybody. And Booker mentioned after the game that he has an advantage in the post or on a lob against even his own matchup, which is kind of what I was talking about with maybe you can't really help at the rim against somebody like that. But what you can do is not allow him to get an entry pass five feet from the basket against somebody that he's a foot taller than. And they let, they let him do that too much. And then not only did they let him do that, but there wasn't help at that immediate catch, right? That's what you, you have to do something. And again, because it doesn't feel like they were treating his touches as emergencies, he just waltzed into, I believe he had 22 at the half and he had 38 in the game. And so again, to circle back to the moment that I am highlighting, three minutes, 20 seconds left, Zach Collins gets a post-up. That should be a victory for the defense, right? You wall him off from an easy bucket, you protect the passing lanes, and you let Zach Collins ISO his way into a shot, and you live with that result. It's Zach Collins, you know? Uh, Made some threes tonight, solid player, physical dude. Maybe he makes that shot, but what you don't allow, you try in your very best possible way to not allow is a dish backward to somebody who's seven foot four and slams a dunk on your head. And that's what the Suns did. Too often, in too many ways, and especially there. Big takeaway from this game revolves around Devin Booker and just how freaking good this season is about to be from him. We'll go to the positives next. First, today's show brought to you by Prize Picks. With the basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Prize Picks Specials League, which is a league created specifically for combo projections that include two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, let's say you want to combine LeBron James and Travis Kelsey together this weekend with three-pointers made and receptions, and you want to go more than 10 and a half. How's that sound? Prize Picks allows you to do that and a bunch more. You just simply select a player. You select more or less than the Prize Picks player projection for any given stat, including stuff like fantasy points or the combo specials leagues. And away you go. You can win up to 25 times your money on any entry, just two or more players, more or less. And there you go. No league, no opponent, no pool. It is just you versus that projection they also offer quick withdrawals and tons of specials in addition to that specials league like taco tuesday and more which you can find out about at prizepicks.com slash locked on nba or use the code locked on nba on their app for a first deposit match up to 100 dollars. that's prizepicks.com slash locked on nba promo code locked on nba get that first deposit matched up to 100 dollars Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Keeping it rolling, Devin Booker returned, played 35 minutes, led this comeback. 
The man is a top five player. The man is an, an, an MVP candidate, if I can spit the acronym out. Devin Booker is an MVP candidate this year. I think you, you can't watch these first two games that he's played and, and think anything differently than that. I mean, I know it's just two games, but I can just read the averages for you if that's more helpful. He is at, I believe, 31.5 points per game, 10.5 assists per game, and 8 rebounds per game on like 55% shooting from the field. And an unbelievable assist-to-turnover ratio, which is quickly he had 13 to 5 today, and in the first game he had 8 to 6. So we're looking at 21 to 10, 2 to 1 assist-to-turnover ratio on the season. Again, two games, but two incredible exemplary in I mean unbelievably valuable types of games. The way that Booker has not only... Let me put it this way. Last year, I think, is the year that Booker put it all together. And I talked a ton about this. You know, because of the injury midseason, it did not get attention. Nationally, for All-Star, for, you know, whatever you want to go watch on NBA Today, on ESPN, or whatever. It didn't get that buzz. But it was the best season of his career, and I believe it was an all-NBA caliber season. Now, this year, he's going to have to play 65 games to be named to a team like that, but separate conversation. Last year, he put it all together. It was the timing. It was the patience. It was the reading of the floor, not just as a passer, but as a scorer. The timing and uh, methodologicalness if you'll allow me to use the longest word of all time on this podcast that he developed where he had the handle, the passing, the three-level scoring, and then he just started to work it. Just yo-yo, just right there. And he grew out of needing Chris Paul, right? And I think a lot of what they've done since, whether that's coaching, whether that's trading Chris Paul, whether that is adding a player who is more of an off-ball and secondary threat like Beal instead of more of an on-ball guy. All of that can be traced back to the fact that Booker had the season that he had last year. But that was last year. This year, we're seeing what happens when that roster is built around him, when the talent does fit him, and when the ball is in his hands. And, And that's the difference between... a season that I'm telling you and arguing on this podcast and whatever I'm yelling about is the best of his career and all NBA caliber. That's the difference between that and is he one of the best players in all of basketball? I think Devin Booker is, I mean, are there five players better than him? Right now, 
it'd be hard to make that case. We're we're two weeks into the we're we're a week and a half into the NBA season. I'm I'm not pretending like that is concrete. It's always changing. It's different. But what you're seeing him do now that he has the ball in his hands, embracing the pull up three pointer tonight. He was five of seven uh, on that shot. Not all pull ups, of course, but mostly pull ups after a game where he shot 38% from deep uh, against the Warriors the last time out. He is finding players in transition. He is getting downhill, getting to the free throw line, getting to the rim, not just mid-range heavy. When he really embraces those drives and he is utilizing the pull-up three as a weapon and he is smart enough and physically capable enough to find the right pass and gives it up willingly and is unselfish, you're hard-pressed to find a hole in this dude's game. And we know he's grown as a defender. Okay, he's 6'5". He's not going to be a game-changing defensive player at that size without, you know, being in the top 5-10% of Drew Holiday's and Marcus Smart's and Josh Okogie's. Okay, he's not that. Great. Whatever. To me, I I mean, I watch the league. I do a national NBA podcast. We are building the Just Basketball show into something where I am expected to know about all the other teams too. I do that. I promise I watch. I don't know how many people I've seen play better than Kevin uh, than Devin Booker this year. I mean, I did the Tatum thing last week or the week before. We can talk about what Jimmy Butler did in in the postseason or the first two rounds of the postseason last year, and that's a conversation. But, I mean, you're talking about Steph, Jokic, Giannis, Luka. I mean, that might be the end of the list. Embiid, if you want. And I'm not saying all those guys are better than him. I'm saying that's the company that he might belong in right now and tonight's game coming off of an entire missed week from doubtful to playing over the course of 24 hours and with an awful first quarter this is what he did 31 13 and 9 let a comeback from 20 down and nearly beat a team that was rolling offensively and carried his own team that couldn't make get a stop and is still figuring out its rotation. That's what superstar MVP caliber top five talents in the NBA do. And he's done it twice now in the two games. He's had the chance to do it. I mean, let's go. Speaking of that rotation, young forward breakout watch coming up. Featuring Kata Bates-Diop next. First, today's show brought to you by FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the Locked On Podcast Network and America's number one sports book as well. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets at FanDuel with any $5 money line bet. That's $150 right to your account if your team wins. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. I'm looking now 
at the Cardinals line. They are on the road in Cleveland. I have to admit to you that I'm terrified at the idea of Kyler Murray lining up under center for the first time this year against the Cleveland Browns if that does in fact happen because that defense is monstrous. However, eight and a half, if Kyler does play, that offense is not scaring anybody out in Cleveland. Maybe you feel like you might enjoy a little extra to cheer for on Sunday. FanDuel has that plus spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. Again, win that money line bet, you get $150. FanDuel.com slash locked on to kick it off. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Let's close out the show. Want to let you guys know to sign up for the Locked On Suns Insider Text Alert account that I am, am launching. This is the first time I've teased it. I've been very vague in the past. You will have more details, but the link is in the bio. Messages will start coming out over the weekend. You can also subscribe, follow to the Locked On Suns TikTok account. That's right. We are going to be on TikTok. We'll see how far this algorithm takes us. But if you want my instantaneous reaction after games, if you want my thoughts on rumors and stuff like that, TikTok will be another place to do it. Locked on Suns Insider text alerts as well. More info to come on all of it. Thank you guys for supporting the show. More and more and more for you. And I hope you come along. Young Forward Breakout Watch. And my man is starring. I feel so awkward saying my man. I'm going to have to like ask questions to this dude. I cover this team and I'm uh, fanboying about this uh, 27-year-old dude who I'm calling a young guy. I mean, he's older than me. I'm all, none of it makes any sense. All I know is Kata Bates-Diop had an incredible game. Incredible game. Frank Vogel was a little understandably bothered by not only tonight, but I'm sure Tuesday, and so did not have a lot of positive or much uh, detail even in his answers post-game, but I did ask him about Kata Bates Diop and what he saw from Kata that gave him the confidence to let him start, or sorry, not start, but close the game. And number one, is not really about Keita. It was that with the Kogi on the court, and you'll notice he only played 12 minutes tonight, the Spurs were putting Vic on a Kogi on the defensive end of the court so that Wembenyama could roam off of a Kogi and be in help and completely destroy offensive possessions. And so the second half began with Yuta Watanabe out there and I've had some Japanese followers and subscribers tell me that I'm saying that name with the emphasis on the last A and that in Japanese there is no emphasis on any syllable. And I say that and I promise you it does not sound right to me. It feels very awkward coming out of my mouth. And when I really try to do it, it almost sounds like I'm doing like a bad, rude type of impression and I'm not comfortable with it. So I will just tell you that I know I'm not saying the name exactly correctly, but I'm doing my best. Yuta Watanabe started that second half. And it worked a little bit in terms of spacing, in terms of making Vic guard somebody real, not just float out into the paint. But 
Yuta did not have a great game, missed all four of his threes, and missed, uh, I believe he missed an ugly layup that he, he, that's the one he got fouled on, I think, uh, or turned it over or something. Maybe they didn't count it as a basket. I'm not sure, but he had an ugly miss around the rim too. And so then by the end of the game, Gordon did not have his best night. And I just mentioned Yuta didn't, necessarily perform well in that first stint and so Vogel had to look elsewhere and where did he look he looked to Keita Bates-Diop who I think rewarded his coach made good on a lot of the promise that myself and others believed him to have and I think earned future playing time and so I'll get to what he did and some of the moments, but the other interesting part of this rotation-wise and sort of contextually is Nasir Little did not play in this game. And so you could look at it and say that Keita Bates-Diop, I think he did play a little in the first half too. You could say, okay, well, he sort of stepped up out of nowhere because Vogel was looking for something and, and just trying anything type of deal. No, Little did not play. Little was not in this rotation. Now, maybe Vogel's instinct was to go with just a nine-man rotation, just Eubanks, Yuda, Gordon, and Goodwin off the bench, and no, no additional forward. But regardless, that gives you more, uh, I think, belief that Keita could play that backup forward role going forward, pun intended. What he did was everything you would have wanted to see from his first stint in the rotation. He made, honestly, the first impression that he sort of made was a couple of baskets where the the offense broke down, and one of these was against Victor Wembanyama. Bates Diop just got to the basket, used his touch and his craft, and scored in that kind of chaotic end-of-clock situation. He has that. That's what he is actually at heart, and why I thought in the preseason it felt like he was slow to adjust, actually, is that he was still playing a little bit too much like the guy at Ohio State and in San Antonio who was asked to get buckets, and that isn't going to be what he has to do here. But maybe that got his confidence going, or maybe it just worked out that way, but... Either way, he did that. He got a transition dunk, I believe, at one point, and then made the corner three uh, to tie the game late. Then he gets matched up with Victor Wembanyama. I mentioned that he was guarding Collins in that last play, but he guarded Wembanyama a lot of the night to allow Durant in those small lineups or even Durant and Eubanks to be the help because again, those so many of those moments earlier in the game when Benyama had just gotten the ball against a smaller defender with no help and scored easily. So the Suns made that adjustment. And Keita, I mean, you think about it, right? Like we saw this with Jokic last year. The best defense that we saw against him was PJ Tucker guarding him with Joel Embiid in help. Rui Hachimura guarding Jokic with Anthony Davis in help. Even TJ Warren guarding Nikola Jokic with Kevin Durant in help, right? At various points in that Suns Nuggets series, which we saw up close here in Phoenix. 
That's similar to what the Suns tried to do, and it really hinged on Bates-Diop being able to at least provide some level of physicality and resistance so that life was a little harder, things were a little slower to develop, and the help could get there. And I think he did that pretty well. I mean, Wembenyama, I think, didn't, until that bucket at 320 that I had talked about in the first segment, I don't think Wembenyama scored the whole fourth quarter. He sat for a lot of it. He played the very beginning of the fourth and then came back around the midway point and then finally scored around that three and a half minute mark. But that's still a testament to me to the Suns' defensive adjustments and a player like Keita doing a little more than anyone else had been able to. I think he should play in the next game. I think you ride it. I think you see what it can look like. Vogel has been very open, as have the players, that there is talent on the bench that is not currently playing. Obviously, that can only mean so many people. Maybe they think it's everybody. Chimezi Metu has not gotten into this rotation. Bull Bull has not gotten into this rotation, and neither have the two-way guys. Great. Uh, Let's see them all. I don't care, but... Right now, Keita Bates-Diop more than earned his opportunity. It appears that Vogel moved off of the Nasir Little idea, and I think that should continue. See if it helps. See if those second units feel better. See if the small lineups feel a little bigger, not so small, because you have a capable forward who's mobile and athletic and, and can shoot, but is still big at 6'9". I think it's all headed in that direction if, if Keita can seize that moment. Lastly, real quick, box score oddity, just to highlight it. The Suns, again, lost a lot of the major possession stats. Uh, The Spurs did not get to the free throw line as much, so the Suns won that pretty handily. Suns did miss a lot of their free throws, however, but San Antonio, nine offensive rebounds to just five for Phoenix. Turnovers, only eight for San Antonio, which is crazy for a young team. 14 for the Suns. You also had... Fast break points favoring San Antonio, 18-9. to nine. You had points off turnovers, 17-7. to seven. Even points in the paint, 58-44. to 44. A lot of the indicators of how the Suns want to win games, turning defense into offense, getting easy baskets, resetting their defense, allowing their talent to win out, none of that has happened this week against San Antonio. A very young team, a very inexperienced team that did not play like it. And the Suns got their you-know-what handed to them Two times in a row, disappointing losses, surprising, down-to-the-wire, missed opportunity losses that they now have to make up ground for. Two and three is nothing to panic about. I think everybody still feels good about this team. I do, but you got to make up some ground. Uh, it's you know Philly on Saturday morning at 10 o'clock in the morning is, is not going to be an easy one. And uh, after that, you have Detroit... Okay, sure. Detroit, Chicago, pile those up, but you put yourself in a hole. You're going on the road. We'll see how they respond. We'll have a recap of that back-to-back on the road on Monday. You can also catch some content on TikTok, which I will put a link link to in the description of this episode as well in instant reaction form to both games, and I will start to trickle stuff out in the Suns Insider text alert, which is also in the description for the episode. Thank you so much for listening. Subscribe to all those things I just told you to subscribe to. You'll hear from me at some point. Show's coming back Monday through Friday next week. Enjoy the weekend. I will talk to you all then.